0: I'm Jeff Gibson.
1: And I'm Shanna Paxton.
0: And we are the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we express our joy of film by kicking it off first with the Weekend Review, what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode, move on to the main event, which is a main review or topic of discussion, and then finish up with Film Faves, our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this episode, we will be reviewing Free Guy, the latest uh, movie starring Ryan Reynolds. Then, we will be counting down in film faves, our favorite comedies. More on that and how we went about that list a little bit later. But for now, we have a brief week in review. Shanna, you... Have something to that you want to talk about that you caught up with on Netflix?
1: Yeah, so I got to watch the Netflix show Teenage Bounty Hunters, and that was rather entertaining and fun. and you know it fits in that little genre of he has a bunch of Christian schoolgirls trying to figure out what their faith means and what they can and can't do within their fa- uh, fate, faith faith <laughs> their faith lines. And parameters, mm-hmm. and what they're doing is they're actually helping a seasoned bounty hunter catch catch others that are skipping bail.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: And a lot of fun little comedic moments happen, and then there's more of a mystery as well halfway through the season, and they try to figure that stuff out because now they've become these sort of sleuths. Mm. But they're very sort of not like doffed, but like. Not flimsy either. They're they're kind of just like, well, this, is this. if this happens, it happens. You know, if they catch aloof. a person. they kind of yeah, aloof. Yeah, I think so. They're just, they're very much talking about their own lives all the time, mm. their teenage lives and uh, what they're going through. So sometimes I'm really into it and sometimes I'm not. I'm a little disappointed that there won't be a second season because they didn't quite end it in a way that was, here's our season one and that's it. Uh-huh. So if you're looking for something fun to watch and if you're into the whole Christian high school kids trying to figure themselves out genre, then this could be fun for you.
0: And who are the main stars in the show?
1: Yeah, so that's going to be the twin girls in the show. They're twins. Maddie Phillips and Angelica Betty Fellini. We've also got... Kadeem Hardison
0: really Kadeem Hardison's? In yeah there?
1: Virginia Williams and one of my favorites Mackenzie Aston huh when I saw him I was like oh that's exciting
0: I'm not familiar with the others but Kadeem Hardison is really co- kind of cool to see again
1: yeah I enjoyed him I thought he was really fun and you know they kind of poke fun at the the bounty hunter reality tv show kind of tropes as well so that's that's always I get a kick out of that
0: so you recommend the show
1: Yeah, if you want something light and kind of fun. But, you know, if you're one of these people that is like diehard about, are there six seasons? That's not the show for you. This is like a one season investment.
0: So it's only for people who want short shows is what you're saying?
1: I think so. Yeah.
0: Okay. Or at least maybe go into it with the understanding, the caveat that it it doesn't come to a satisfying conclusion. Yeah. 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 Okay, very good. So that's Teenage Bounty Hunters on Netflix.
1: You got it, Eddie.
0: All right. Now, you haven't seen anything else since our last episode, correct?
1: I'm watching other stuff, but I'll talk about that next time.
0: Okay, and so the only thing that we have watched together largely since the last episode that is new anyway is a film from this year called Land directed and starring robin wright and, the, and there's uh damian Bashir, i think is the other co-star the main co-star in the in the film there's a couple other like small part uh supporting actors in it but those are the the primary two in land robin wright plays a woman who's uh bereaved and she's going she's had some tragedy in her life and she decides to seek out a new life off the grid in the mountains of wyoming this is a movie that had a really good buzz and so it was kind of on my radar and it took three months for me to get around to watching it but uh, I'm glad that we did. What did you think of Land? It's definitely material that probably feels familiar to you, having seen other movies of this kind.
1: I can kind of compare this to Wild. Uh-huh. Wild is definitely my example of a loss of someone or a loss of self or both, because that's, you know, they can go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And then, a, you know, a rediscovery and re anchoring of oneself or. You know reinvention, mm-hmm. so that was definitely achieved here. I like that it was a bit mysterious. You know, with Wild, they go a little back and forth with the timeline, and they are taking you on her journey. Uh, but here in Land, it's it's very subtle, and you don't need to know what she suffered you know you know that she suffered they established that in a very vague way like you don't know the specifics and that it doesn't matter i mean maybe it's because of the age i'm at i'm at or maybe it's because of the other movies i've seen i'm like i don't need to know i completely understand if you want to rid yourself of the rest of humanity and just go live somewhere else and just be by yourself So I love the performances. The cinematography was great. The way it was all put together was awesome. The reality of what it would be like if you were a city slicker, didn't have any workshops or training before going to live not in the city. Is that rural? It's beyond rural. It's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, like you could tell she had like no training (laughs) whatsoever. And so that was good because it meant that the character would have an arc. Hmm. She would, you know, either suffer from it or she would overcome it and it was lovely
0: so first of all we do actually learn what the tragedy is eventually in the movie what what she i
1: was gonna keep that a secret i'm not
0: telling (laughs) i'm not saying what it is but you do eventually learn what it is uh the movie in no way felt derivative to you in, in any way i mean you yourself pointed out like one of the prime examples of what this movie is very much like
1: well it's the same concept, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, what's that story with the father and daughter, and they live in the wild, leave no trace. Yeah. So, you know, it's a it's a pretty popular. I mean, not popular, but like I've seen it a few times. And I guess in land, the approach was just enough different, where I didn't feel like I was watching the same damn movie uh however i am being reminded right now there is a line or two that that's very important very important timing in the film and they could have done better with the delivery of that idea it didn't even need to be verbalized Mm. but they did it anyway Mm. and it was too not clever (laughs) it wasn't smart enough for me
0: right so i think this is a fine film i think it's good I think Robin Wright has a decent directorial debut here. She gives a really good performance. I mean, it's Robin Wright, right? She's not going to give a bad performance, generally. I do think that it will feel familiar, and I agree with you. The movie does get on the nose near the end with a couple lines that weren't necessary.
1: Yeah, I feel like this is... This could serve as a good intro movie to this kind of concept like we could show our teenage sonnet. Yeah. Like when he I don't know 16, 17. I mean it's not before we show Wild and before we show is it Wilderness, the one with the guy with the bear and it's a true life story as well. Guy with the Into the Wild.
0: Oh, I don't remember and a then... bear in that, but yeah, Into the Wild, another similar idea but the the goal the reason is completely different he's intentionally he has no trauma or whatever he just wants to live off the grip. yeah i think it's fine i i i give the movie a seven out of ten how about you
1: i would agree with that
0: yeah okay so that's land by robin Wright. worth a look but definitely not the gonna be at the top of our list for the year and that will do it for the week in review and now it's time for the main event, which is our review of Free Guy. Am I right, Joe? You said it, guy. Yeah! Don't have a good day.
1: Have a great day. Everybody down on the
0: ground! Hey, bud, you ever think that there's gotta be more? More than what? The stuff we do day after day. Being shot at, run over, taken hostage. Everybody down on the ground! Today's gonna be different. God, this isn't you. You don't do this, man. Maybe I do. Dude, this is scary. He's just resting.
1: In pieces. That man is dead. He's so sleepy. God, is just a scream.
0: Is this what recreational drugs feel like?
1: Guy, this world, it's a video game. And it's full of bad guys.
0: I'm a rule breaker. I'm a rattle chick chick
1: chick snaker We need you to be the good guy. Ah, I'm sorry! Oh God! Is that a Glock in your pocket? No. What?
0: It's two Glocks. Oh! I'm not going to be the good guy. I'm going to be the great guy. <gasps>
1: okay. Well, enjoy your lifetime supply of virginity. <laughs> Off you go. Sweet, sweet.
0: And that was from the trailer to Free Guy, the latest Ryan Reynolds starring film. This one directed by Sean Levy. More about him in a moment. It's about a bank teller who discovers that he's actually a non-playable character inside a brutal open-world video game. Now, when we review a movie, we typically first focus on the good. What worked for us about a movie? What were its strengths? Before moving on to the bad, what were a film's flaws? What made a movie suck, if you will? Then we assess whether or not the good outweighs the bad, give it a score, move on to spoilers and final thoughts. Now, Shanna, we've done video game movies before. We've talked about movies set in video games even, not even video game adaptations. We've seen these kinds of things before. I want to ask you, what did Free Guy bring new to the table in this concept? And what was good about the film?
1: Well, it's not like... We have this video game, Sonic the Hedgehog, and now we're going to turn Sonic the Hedgehog into a movie. So it's not taking an existing franchise and translating it. There's no material before this. This is an original idea. It's kind of poking fun at video games. And we went with our son and he noticed a few things, you know, from his, his cool kid generation. And we noticed a few different things, but there were things that we missed in between the different generations. So that was, it was pretty fun. Uh, Immediately when I saw this film, I was like, hey, this is like GTA. And then, you know, because that's what I was exposed to that's similar to this. And Mm. I just found it very interesting. It was very exciting. It was an enjoyable watch. I thought the comedy was just great. When I recognized Jodie Comer from Killing Eve as the main actress in this film, I was very excited Mm. because I haven't seen her in anything else, you know? So Mm. I haven't seen her being beyond a a Cold Stone killer.
0: That is true. I forgot to mention the cast in this is pretty decent. It's It's
1: fantastic.
0: Ryan Reynolds, Jodie Comer, Taika Waititi, Little Role Howery, Joe Curie from Stranger Things, and I think those are all the notable names, if I'm not mistaken. There's a couple surprise cameo voices and other things that I won't spoil here, but that's the core cast. Uh, And Jodie Comer, as you said, is the female lead, and she was a surprise for you. What, What else do you think that this you know we'd seen like ready player one we've seen other uh, you know tron tron legacy Mm. you know movies that aren't uh, based on a video game but exist in a video game world what Mm. else do you think free guy brought to the table that was different
1: i thought even though amongst its absurdity and brilliant execution of portraying you know these crazy violent games (laughs) as a real world you mm. know just brilliant execution i thought amongst all of that it was it had heart and that was really nice and you know the humor was great that i don't think there were any fart or poop jokes which <laughs> was just so exciting and invigorating for me
0: okay it's invigorating to <laughs> to, to go avoid without. those yeah okay. all right
1: so there, th- there wasn't really lowbrow comedy. It was all somewhat relatable in mm, a way. Yeah. Even if you're not a gamer of this genre.
0: Okay. What made it relatable?
1: Well, everybody at its at its heart, everybody wants to have purpose and know their purpose and embrace it, right? Mm. So there were lots of little elements of that in this film, mm-hmm. and then. You know, even though we're in this video game and we, you know, a lot of us can relate to, oh, this reminds me of GTA. Oh, this reminds me of Fortnite or whatever. The In the movie, they also exit the game world and we see reality. Yes. So we see them plugging in and unplugging and... That was super interesting, too. Turns out that the film is somewhat in Seattle. I think it's a little constructed because it doesn't look very clear where they are.
0: In terms of where the real world is set. Yeah,
1: the real world is essentially in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was pretty funny because I have gone to Seattle Center and I have seen Indie Game Day where they explain your games to you. You go to different booths and that there was a little bit of that incorporated into the movie. So I thought that that was really interesting.
0: Was there anything else good about Free Guy that you want to mention?
1: You know, there's a lot that I loved about this film. And I can't find the words right now because we're recording pretty late. So why don't you share with everyone what you enjoyed about it? And I'll just, you know, interrupt you. It'll be great.
0: (laughs) Okay. So... First of all, this movie is directed by Sean Levy. Now, Sean Levy is not a director in general I'm a fan of. He's more of a director for hire. This is the guy who behind The Night at the Museum trilogy. He's done, like, The Internship and Real Steel and Date Night. I, you know I've, and, and, and he did the Pink Panther remake with Steve Martin... Uh, big Fat Liar, Just Married, Cheaper Died by the Dozen remake with Steve Martin. You know, these are not movies that are highly regarded and, and with good reason, you know? I wasn't a big fan of Date Night, uh, for example. I thought that was very mediocre, and that kind of typifies Sean Levy's career. The only thing I've liked that he's done is he did a few episodes of Stranger Things, which I am a, a fan of. So I think that Free Guy is a, a big surprise coming from Sean levy I didn't expect free guy to be as good or as interesting as it ended up being Zach Penn and Matt Lieberman co-wrote the screen together the the screenplay together now Zach Penn that might explain some of it because Zach Penn has done quite a lot uh, yeah, coincidentally, he did the script for Ready Player One, which we were very lukewarm on, but he's also done a lot of work with superhero movies like X Men and and the MCU uh, films. Matt Lieberman's a screen a screenwriter I'm not as familiar uh, with, but apparently he's done things like the uh, Christmas Chronicles and
1: looks like he's done Scoob.
0: Yeah, he did Scoob, which we were like apparently one of the only fans of. But he's also done stuff like Playing with Fire in the Adams Family animated movie. He's kind of new; he doesn't have as many writing credits as Zach Penn did.
1: This is a very strange and odd team. It but is somehow it worked. Maybe they were all able to keep each other in check and give each other good feedback so that they could produce the best thing possible. That's um,
0: exactly where I'm going with this. It's, it's, uh, thank you for, bu- uh, boiling it down to that. That's exactly right. It's a big surprise. Wasn't that
1: a great interruption? <laughs> yes, it
0: was. Thank you. <laughs> and so here's the thing about Free Guy you know, you kind of expect, oh, it'll be just like this lighthearted action comedy with Ryan Reynolds providing a particular type of nice guy comedy. And,. I don't know. It's very different because here he plays a character who is self-actualizing. Everything around him is new or he's very naive to everything around him. He doesn't understand anything beyond his little bubble, so to speak. Which, and he... Which
1: gives him a lot of confidence and ease mm. and going with the flow.
0: Right. Right. But it's a, it's a very interesting and different performance from... Ryan, than what we've seen in movies like Deadpool, right? And, you know, or, or even Green Lantern. And I thought that was a strength of the film. I think what the biggest thing about this film that struck me is it's way smarter than I expected it to be. It's way smarter than it should be. This is a movie that has a lot of metaphors. It has, uh, it has um, ideas in it. It's using these... This concept and these characters as as metaphor to communicate um, bigger ideas. Some of which are kind of topical, uh, in the sense of there is a certain degree of what kind of world do you want to create, right? And mm. and what time ty- what kind of world do you want to exist in, or what have you? You know, do you want to build as a community? Yeah, even, right? as a community. And so I don't want to get into specifics too much, but it is, it is very interesting. There's also commentary on, on film or video game industry. Um, I would take it as a film industry since it is a film on, on sequels and, and whatnot versus original content, original films, mm. uh, in what the, what the industry is leaning towards and, and doing. There is commentary on rushed video game development and you know you hear these next big things, they come out and it turns out there's really they're really buggy or there's Yeah, there's you know, huge gaps. Right, there's mechanics are not nothing was great. ready. Right, yeah. There's a lot of that. And and also at the same time, while you have like big picture taking a step back, there's all these really interesting ideas in it. Moment by moment there's some really brilliant things in it as a vi- you know I'm not a modern day video game player I pretty much stopped at PS3 but even so I'm able to recognize some things in this that are very true to video games you see characters in the background doing things that like repetitive actions or things, yeah, like you know? the
1: double jump, trying to get the double jump ready, yes. and it's real people doing it, or well, maybe it's CG. I don't know, but it looks like real people doing this, and it looks so ridiculous, right? And and funny,
0: right? Yeah, there's a lot of different things like that. That is. That is just really funny while at the same time it translates some of the mechanics of video games like how do you bring up a, a bunch of different weapons from you mm. know it, it translates those kind of mechanics in brilliant ways without like calling it out really right?
1: practical and aesthetically pleasing yeah so it's almost like this was the video game that got its you know, all its coding and bugs sorted out. Mm-hmm. And that was the game we should have had.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think Taiko Waititi, he plays this video game um, uh, mogul, let's say, this, this yeah, game that's a good development description. mogul of sorts, you know, and uh, he, he is definitely the antagonist in the film. And, you know, Taiko Waititi, he is uh, quite highly regarded now as a director, right? Uh, This is a guy who has been on the up and up during the course of the past decade, and he's very Mm. well respected now. But every once in a while, he will have these supporting performances. And I have never seen so far a performance from him that isn't spot on, either hilarious or just pitch perfect for what the role requires of him.
1: And you're saying he nailed this one? Yes, yes. Yeah, it was really great. It's like a spoiled brat, you know, with this weird fashion sense. It was he just em- knows how to embody and embrace things. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Was there anything else? That we should have on that was good about the movie before we move on to what was bad about it? Man,
1: there were just so many good things. So let's move to bad so that we can get back to good things and spoilers.
0: Okay, yeah, more in spoilers. Okay, so what didn't work for you about Free Guy? What sort of flaws or issues did you run into?
1: It's such an interesting question. I was the person cheering very loudly and clapping my hands gleefully in the cinema with this movie Mm -hmm. and it's very difficult for me to remember what did not work for me so unfortunately i think you're gonna have to go first with this did anything bother you because nothing's coming to mind to me right now
0: Mm. so the only flaw i had was this film is operating on a much smarter level than i expect it to to be and then you know i'm getting what it's doing i'm totally getting it but it does unfortunately, it fails to trust the audience at, at certain points and feels like it needs to make the subtext text and actually spell out some of its messages and what it's, what it's saying. There's certain times when yeah. the characters actually say what it's trying to say, what the movie's trying to say. And... It, it, it's a it's my it's one of those things where it's like oh you know if you just trusted us you know you you didn't have to go there you didn't have to say it just like land right you know you didn't yeah have to say i know the thing on the i know nose. what you're
1: saying but man i am having a hard time remembering which parts specifically involve I, that
0: i wish i could remember the exact dialogue and, and scene it's been a few days since we've seen the film we've seen it once but I, that is definitely a thing that I took note of when it happened. It happens like halfway through the movie, uh, when it uh-huh. does, and it's it's not a bummer, but it is a kind of a uh, okay, well, all right, all right, kind of thing, you know. So that was the main sticking point I I had uh, of about the film.
1: Okay, nothing's coming to mind for me. I i guess we can talk about that in spoilers but i just i had such a good time with this film. was this a
0: perfect film for you
1: (sighs) i mean i think so really i mean is it a 10 no okay only because i need to watch it again i don't think it's fair to give a 10 to something i haven't watched a second time
0: so you would score it a nine
1: i think so yeah
0: wow that's that's surprising There was just so much
1: that this movie got right for me that I'm like, thank you so much. And I'm not even a hardcore gamer.
0: So for you, the good definitely outweighs the bad.
1: Yes. Yes, I believe the good outweighs the bad. (laughs) because I can't even think of any bad.
0: Right. Okay. So this, I feel like we really missed out on something in 2020 because... With Nomadland and a couple of the other movies we've watched and reviewed lately, not all of them, not Godzilla vs. Connor, or whatever, <laughs> but a couple of the other movies we've watched and reviewed that were supposed to come out in 2020. I mean, I really feel like 2020 was going to be a great year. And I think Free Guy just is another movie that you can add to that stack of, of films that really are better than you expect them to be and would have made for an excellent year. I don't think it's a perfect film. I don't think it's a flawless film. I do think it's it's really good. I think it has a potential to be... It could have been a sleeper hit if it weren't for a pandemic, honestly. And I really hope it does perform well at the box office because uh, this is a really solid film. 8 out of 10 is what I score a free guy... I really think that it's going to be a, a big surprise. And if you're someone who was born after 1990, I think you know, you're young enough that you're going to catch on and appreciate some aspects of this film that old folks like myself, like us, aren't going to as easily. So uh, I, we highly recommend Free Guy, it sounds like. Absolutely. So with that, what we're going to do is continue this discussion into spoilers. If you haven't seen the film, skip ahead, look at the show notes, check out the timestamp for when Film Faves begins. If you have seen the film, come join us, come along to spoilers discussion. We're going to get a little more specific about things that apparently we appreciated about Free Guy starting now. Okay, Shanna, what didn't, what couldn't you express?
1: Should we start with the reality portion okay. of this film?
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, I I was very surprised. Our son said that he didn't really care about the stuff in hmm. in the real world, which I know sometimes when you have two different worlds,
1: that was ironic.
0: <laughs> sometimes when you have a film with two different worlds, there is that risk of is one less interesting than another. I actually didn't have that experience. I thought, like, everything with Taika Waititi, everything mm-hmm. with Joe Keery from Stranger Things, everything with the the real-life Jodie Comer, I thought all that stuff with their video game having been stolen and the code that proves or, or something that proves like that. The,
1: they, the, the, Taika Waititi wasn't even smart enough to, like, erase the code completely. He basically just built on top of that code,
0: right? Yeah, and all that stuff having to do with with do with that, I thought was just as interesting as the game. What was the game called again? Free World.
1: Free. I thought it was free play, but it must be Free World.
0: It wasn't free play, that's for sure, because uh, the game's not free. <laughs> I want to say it was Free World. You, you go ahead and find if that, that was wrong. But I found that stuff, of course, just as, just as interesting. Of course, free, the, the, the actual video game is where the metaphors come in and the, and the different themes and ideas, right? Um, so there is more meat, per se, and the, the real world is where what's driving the plot, what's driving the story. So
1: it's free city. Free city, it's yes, that's right. It's just a city, right. it's not a world. That's right, that's right. Yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be the, the second sequel, right? They yeah. They expand, yeah.
1: <laughs> like, here's the whole country.
0: Right, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I thought all of that stuff worked just fine. I thought the the whole chemistry with uh, the the stuff with Joe Curie and Jodie Comer that that was fine and worked just fine with with me, right? Yeah. Um. And you know, I, I was really more pleased to see Joe outside of Stranger Things because I haven't before.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It definitely gives me hope. Um. And at first, I was a little like. So when we get to see Free City and I see Jody, I'm like, holy shit, motherfucker's going to die. Everyone's going to die <laughs> because all I could think of was her character from Killing Eve. And it was it was good that she looked different, but was recognizable and was able to switch my brain over. Mm. So that was really great. I loved seeing her. I'm so glad she was in this. And
0: that, that's interesting because this is my first exposure to her.
1: I oh, mean, God, just... you are missing out. And I mean, this I... role.
0: Is, is killing Eve for me? Well, am I missing out? I'm
1: just saying, like, the acting, the perfection she has. The yeah. discipline is fantastic. So seeing her in a sort of softer role is nice. Yeah. But I hope she continues to do more stuff
0: uh n- another performance we should shout out here there is a character that shows up in the very beginning of the movie and we're both like wait a minute was that and then what 15 20 minutes later we're confirmed channing tatum is in this movie yeah as an avatar yes right for for someone and he is hilarious. This is the great thing about Channing Tatum is not only can he be a good dramatic actor, not enough opportunities. He usually gets comedic roles, but he is also a hilarious comedic actor. His uh,
1: delivery is just spectacular. He's great at physical comedy. <laughs> you know what I, I started giggling at some point earlier because I looked at your notes and I saw Channing Tatum as your note. and I was reminded of when you know, all the characters, yeah, so Jody, ryan reynolds and then channing tatum come together Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden channing tatum is talking normally he's like in his mission and then all of a sudden you you just look at him and he goes blank for a second and then he shouts mom mom he's like going off at his mom and ryan reynolds is really confused yeah and so because he's like but who are you talking to because at this point he still hasn't been told he's a video game
0: right part of a video
1: game world that's going to be deleted yeah so so his
0: from his perspective he's like
1: something's wrong with this person right like they're having a seizure (laughs) and (laughs) it's just fabulous how they were able to interact with that and then tina fey is the mom who's vacuuming
0: yeah but you don't see tina fey right you um, you don't see that it is Tina Fey. No,
1: you just, you know, you hear one of those awesome voices she yeah. does. Yeah, and there were a couple of other cool moments. Do you want to talk about some of the other surprises?
0: Well, I'm not sure that I actually caught them oh, when okay. they occurred. I just read them after the fact. Apparently, John Krasinski appears, Hugh Jackman is in the film at He's one point. He's the one
1: that she, Jody's, trying to get footage from, or location oh, of footage. Oh,
0: see, that's a voice that I recognize, but I couldn't place. Okay. okay, I gotcha. And Dwayne Johnson is also in uh, provides his voice, or is I think in he the was just too. the pretty boy. Well, it said bank robber too. Yeah, is I, and I don't know who that was necessarily. So, uh, but uh, that and was,
1: Alex Trebek was in it, which was
0: right. like oh. Right. Kind of sad because this, of course, was originally going to release while Alex was alive. And I think still hosting Jeopardy, if I remember Probably. correctly. That man and worked hard. Now, uh, of course, Alex Trebek has passed. And, you know, it, it it plays as him being the host of Jeopardy with a question having to do with this video game. So, I don't know. Because that's one of the things we didn't talk about about the movie. One of the plot elements is... Mm. Ryan Reynolds plays a guy, an NPC, a non-playable character named Guy, who becomes self-aware and he decides he he gets taught about like leveling up that he's a he he can level up and he just has to achieve certain things. But he doesn't want to hurt anybody. He doesn't want to kill anybody in this mm-hmm. nihilistic game that's all about hurting and killing people. And so, um, he starts doing good deeds and saving people without killing any characters or what have you and stealing all yeah. these guns and stuff because and he, there it, are
1: a couple tasks like can someone help me find my cats
0: that's true and yeah. he becomes uh, very famous he becomes internet famous and stuff he becomes pop culture famous as blue shirt guy because no one knows who this is so, and he's always wearing a blue shirt so they refer to him as blue shirt guy
1: Well, I have to say what I loved was when they were trying to take him down. So, Bunny Rabbit and Cop. Oh, the two
0: game developers, yeah. Because
1: Ryan Reynolds had been reported because he had basically kicked a little girl out of the game by taking the glasses.
0: Right. Yeah. Right, yes. What about that you wanted to bring up?
1: I just found the way that those two well the coders were able to manipulate the game structure Mm. super fascinating Mm -hmm. and all of this is happening and Ryan Reynolds is just like free like guy is just like I don't understand what's happening yeah and all these really fun overlays of like he's he's on a construction site and he's running towards a wrecking ball and he pushes a certain button and is collecting certain tokens on his way to try and make this jump. Yeah. And it's Mighty Cyrus singing, I came in like a wrecking ball. Right. And it was just right. so fucking amusing. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: And the concept of waking up guy is really great because uh what's his name from Stranger Things? Joe Curie. So Joe Curie making this sort of they call it a love letter to Jody and mm-hmm putting in favorite things and that's what awakens guy right he finally meets her comes across her well
0: he's he he's always dreaming of a a particular someone who's going Mm. to come along who never does and then basically what you're trying what you're explaining is joe curie integrated elements of himself into the coding of this character and elements of jody comer's character as the things that this character is pining after mm-hmm. and absolutely loves he loves some of the favorite things of jodie comer's real life character mm-hmm. and and so when he comes across jodie comer's video game version and and gets her attention and is like i love this kind of ice cream or whatever of course she's gonna she's going to notice him and be like oh my god that's my favorite thing or whatever mm-hmm. you know and that all worked the chemistry between them totally worked uh for me
1: yeah it was really sweet and i love how she falls in love with guy Mm -hmm. first and then at the end she figures it out she's a bit slow to the game it's okay it's
0: very last minute it's okay she's a
1: she's a fiery entrepreneur woman trying to get her code back So I'm fine with it.
0: So uh, before we wrap up, I just want to speak to some of the ideas in the movie that really surprised me. I mentioned before that it speaks to this question of what kind of world do you want to create? I I found that to be basically, if I recall correctly, the scene when Free Guy is talking to the other NPCs by the shoreline. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't have to be stuck in your life. You know, there's this idea of doing the same thing over and over and over, having the same routines, same job, all this sort of stuff. You don't have to be stuck in that life and those same routines. Mm-hmm. If you want something more, you can do something more and make your life more than what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, I mentioned before the commentary on the movie industry and the game development industry as well. Uh, Was there any other ideas or messages that you noticed in the film that really surprised or impressed you?
1: I think character interests were very interesting. Like Ryan Reynolds, I can't recall right now, but he puts the glasses on and there's certain things that are in front of him because of the previous player. But when Blue Shirt Guy 2.0 comes onto the scene to try and battle Mm -hmm. like when he gets the glasses put on. And that was so clever. Like he couldn't uh, fight him with his own strength and weaponry. So he put, he freed him. He put glasses on him. yeah. And all of a sudden it's like whey protein and electrolytes and other blender bottles and (laughs) things like that.
0: This is the dude. The dude. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That comes up for the dude. I thought that that was really smart. There's a lot of details in this movie that are really fun. Um, As far as ideas go, I think, one that resonated with me is you don't have to have your face sucked into a computer all the time, you know. You don't have to kill all the characters around you over and over again. That's you don't what it have was. to crash helicopters. You don't have to be GTA, park in an unattainable place and shoot all the cops. You know, <laughs> like.
0: Yeah, that's actually. Thank you for reminding me. The question of what kind of world do you want to create. That was actually speaking to the two different types of video games. You had the the indie game, which mm. was all about... It was this, like, idyllic fantasy land with, you know, centaurs and pegasi and stuff. And it was all about watching and seeing this world come alive. And mm. all these different NPCs uh, grow themselves, right? Yeah, and, there, and and then you have this more marketable, mainstream video game that's all about shooting and robbing and killing and, and hooking up with the babe and all the and all driving fast cars. All your dark
1: parts of yourself.
0: Just very nihilistic. You know, it allows people to express the worst in humanity. And it's literally two different worlds being created. Yeah. Right. And that's where the, the idea of what kind of world do you want to create? Do you want to live in? Came in uh, for me. I thought that was very smart and fascinating.
1: Well, they took it even a step further without being preachy. Right. Mm-hmm. Because Ryan looks at Jody and he says, how many bank robberies happen in a day? and she says like like not every day <laughs> yeah and then he asks how many i don't know something like helicopter crashes or something to do with vehicles and then he says and and what about shootings? And then she actually says, "No, Many no, that's, yeah, you know, no, no, that's that's a problem. It's a really big problem." And and she said something sort of hopeful, but also grounding.
0: It was like, it no, that's actually a real problem.
1: Yeah, and that was, and then Ryan <laughs> Reynolds really like, oh, oh, really?
0: <laughs> yeah, like, yeah,
1: surprised by that. Yeah. he's he's surprised by all the things, <laughs> which right. is great.
0: Was there anything else you wanted to speak to about Free Guy before we move on?
1: Let's do the rapid fire thing, like favorite moments like we did last time with the other movie.
0: I've already said my share. Go ahead and and do whatever else you didn't. Oh,
1: man. When they were when dude was fighting with Guy and all of a sudden he had the Captain America shield and it crosses over to Chris Evans. Yeah, and he's like, yeah. "What the fuck?" <laughs> right, it, was it cuts to so him. Yeah, right. I I really enjoyed that. Yeah. yeah, and then there was a Fortnite weapon that came after that at some point.
0: Well, it was uh, Cap Shield, Hulk's fist, and then that unicorn, the unicorn
1: stick thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, look, everything about this film was awesome. I I think the editing and the CGI and the world building is going to hold up for quite some time. I also like, you know, when they go into the like bar rest area where you can talk to other players mm-hmm. and then he sees himself on the screen and he actually sees himself being killed over and over again it was quite graphic mm. you know we we saw characters being annihilated in the game world mm. and it kind of felt normal and okay but as soon as he stepped into the lounge mm-hmm. and saw it happening to him i was like oh no that's so sad mm. which i thought was very interesting so it really tugged at my emotions mm. Well, I think that's it. I can't wait to watch this again. I was actually kind of sad that it wasn't available to stream anywhere, but also glad for it because it means that people are going to go, they have to go out and go watch it. But what I've been enjoying is watching it in the theaters and then watching it again at home, the movies. But I also know that it's important to get people in the cinemas now.
0: Yeah, you know, back to normal life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're referring to the Warner Brothers movies. Yeah, no definitely we definitely recommend the film definitely enjoyed the film and i look forward to seeing it again sometime so those are our thoughts on free guy have you seen the film what'd you think of it feel free to email us at the gibson review at gmail.com and now it's time for film faves Film Faves is the part of the podcast that is inspired partially by a feature on the blog wherein we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. Part of the idea is to give you a sense of what our favorite movies are, or or tastes, I should say, in film, and, and, and how we celebrate film as well, but also to hopefully expose you to certain titles that you've only heard of, or maybe you've never heard of before. In that sense, we try to also point out when certain movies are available on subscription um, streamers. And because there's so many out there, we only focus on a few. We focus on Apple TV, Netflix, Amazon prime, Hulu, Disney plus HBO max. And I think that's it. Actually. I think that's all of them. So this time in this episode, we are focusing on comedies, an entire genre that has its own subgenres in itself. Very hard to narrow down to just 12 movies. One thing that we did do to try to help with this is we tried to take into consideration movies that were comedies first. They weren't horror films first, they weren't sci fi first, they weren't. Fantasy films, whatever it is, they were comedies first. Maybe they're spoofs, maybe the parodies, maybe they're straightforward comedies. What we were trying to do was avoid the melding of two genres where one is uh, the driver of another.
1: All righty then.
0: So that helped weed out quite a bit. But also, we also have to adhere to our removal of our 12 favorite movies of all time right so if there's any comedies on our 12 favorite movies of all time we cannot include them because of course they'd be our favorite movie on the list for me the only one i really kind of had to remove and even then it didn't quite count because was more of a romance movie it was 500 days of summer right that's the closest for so apparently i don't have very many comedies in my all-time favorite list shanna what? were some from your 12 favorite movies that you had to avoid
1: for me it was arsenic and old lace my number 12 Mm. and then it was ghostbusters the first one
0: Mm. also i should note on mine you know i did my on the blog 100 favorite movies of all time and so half of my list that I'm going to repeat here actually is on that 100 favorite movies list. Uh, Just none of them were part of the 12 that was in our podcast episode, which is interesting. Uh, Shanna, what sort of challenges did you run into? I mean, I imagine you ran into a few challenges trying to boil down entire genre of film to just uh, 12 absolute favorites. Did you have a moment where you made your list and you were like, is this really my favorite comedy? Or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I actually had a bunch of films I wanted to include, and then you told me they did not qualify. (laughs) So there are a bunch of hilarious fucking films that aren't on this list. And then the other challenge I had was this realization of I can't do horror if it's paranormal horror. Sometimes I can do horror if it's somewhat realistic.
0: Ghostbusters is paranormal horror.
1: Well, it's a comedy, and that's what I'm trying to get at. It turns out I can do horror comedy because right. I had about five. Right. And then you said they didn't qualify. So maybe for October, we could do horror comedies. That or could ho- be fun.
0: Or horror films. So, at any rate, yes. So there was something that we implemented to make things a little easier. You seem a little bitter about the rules. I, to make I things am a little bitter. Easy. I
1: don't know why you're using the word easier. Well, you <laughs> know, like, to limit It's it. not.
0: Yeah, okay. you
1: you made a rule to limit things, not not a a fun little rule. Well, does that know? mean that
0: you you had a harder time finding normal comedies that you love?
1: Yeah, it just took a little more time. But oh, okay. I have 12, but they're not like my favorite 12,
0: you know? Fascinating, really. You, I had the opposite problem. I had, and I'll, I'll talk about them later, I had... Like three dozen comedies to try to boil down to 12. Uh, you, you're saying, because we were avoiding horror comedy and sci-fi comedy, basically subgenre comedy, you didn't have very many comedies to choose from, you're saying.
1: No, I'm saying that they're not like my favorite.
0: Fascinating. Like
1: something like Cabin in the Woods or Freaky Friday 13th.
0: You mean freaky? Yeah,
1: freaky. Those are like two that'll make me laugh hysterically. I'm actually But really, also be scared.
0: I'm really surprised that Freaky is up there for you. Well,
1: I watched it again today and I was like, "Oh no, this is too good not to like love."
0: Fascinating. Uh anything else you want to say about the making of the list and its challenges?
1: No, I I'm ready to find out what your little happy journey was. Okay. <laughs> Apparently I am really bitter today if there's something i think of i'll mention it
0: all right it'll be interesting to see given your mood if there'll be any dark comedies (laughs) hitting your list what will we see as your 12th favorite comedy my
1: number 12 of course someone who gets featured a lot in this list is starring bill murray it's by harold Ramis. it's got andy mcdowell groundhog day from 1993 A weatherman finds himself inexplicably living the same day over and over again. This is a fantastic film. I love that it's taking place in February, obviously, because Groundhog Day. And, you know, the snow isn't quite snow anymore. It's kind of slushy. It's starting to melt. So it's rather unpleasant and it looks kind of ugly. So just that weather element is really fun. And then, of course, Bill Murray is hilarious. And this day that he lives over and over again, it takes him a while to figure out, well, Is this going to be my life forever? And how do I make the most of it? And it's a really fun character arc that he goes through.
0: That is an excellent pick. That is a classic comedy. I believe the AFI even named it one of the 100 greatest comedies of all time. My 12th favorite comedy is from 1993. It is Mrs. Doubtfire on Disney+.
1: That was gonna make my list, but then it didn't. Oh,
0: interesting. Same for me with Groundhog Day. So this is probably more than likely top five Robin Williams, if not top three. At least in his comedic performances, you know, if you mix in his dramatic performances, and it might change the game a little bit here. But I think that this is. One of the funniest movies of his career, his performance in it is fantastic. The supporting cast, like Harvey Firestein as his brother, who is a makeup artist in Hollywood, even though this movie is set in San Francisco, is fantastic, hilarious. But also what's great about this comedy is how moving, surprisingly moving, it can be. I mean, I'm usually... I'm laughing all the way through it, and then it gets to the last three to five minutes, and I'm a puddle of tears. <laughs> you know, that that letter... I won't spoil anything, but there's a letter that is read at the end of the movie that is just absolutely touching and encapsulates the entire message of the film. Something that is maybe a little quaint to these days, you know, 20 years later, but... It works uh, for me. Thirty years later now. Anyway, mm. so Mrs. Doubtfire on Disney Plus from nineteen ninety three is my twelfth favorite comedy.
1: My number eleven is Crazy Rich Asians from twenty eighteen, available on HBO. This is by John Shu, and stars Constance Wu, Henry Golding, Michelle Yeoh, Gemma Chan, Lisa Lu, mm. Aquafina and many, many other wonderful Asian faces. This contemporary romantic comedy, which is based on the global bestseller by... Is it Kevin Kwan? Oh, I think so, yeah. Okay. Can you double-check that for me? Okay. Okay. So it's based on his... He actually has a trilogy, uh, as I understand, and it follows native New Yorker Rachel Chu to Singapore to meet her boyfriend's family. And it is absolutely hilarious I love it there are so many funny lines it's I kept thinking like romantic comedies oh we were like done with that but then crazy rich Asians came and you and I were actually sick the day we rented it yeah yeah. and I got to watch it you fell asleep because you were so sick so I watched it a second time to watch it with you and then I watched it a third time (laughs) in this like week where we were sick and it was a it was a really healing movie with all the laughter that occurred um, and Aquafina is awesome to watch she's the one that's just hilarious but then everyone every other character in this film unless they're like an evil bitch trying to sabotage things has these really wonderful and empowering moments mm. if not comedic moments so lots of fun
0: that's uh, that's especially true with Gemma Chain I remember and I can't remember who plays the cousin of the family who oh. considers him who's considered lower lower end of the spectrum in the family, but he is hilarious as well.
1: Oh yes, yeah. I I loved him as well. I I love all the characters.
0: Excellent. And you know, you could even argue that that's not even necessarily a romantic comedy because it's an established relationship. And they're going. They're about to get married. It's just a matter of Michelle Yo, the about mom about to get
1: engaged.
0: Well, yeah. Sorry, I apologize. That's what I meant. Michelle Yo threatening that relationship, and other culture clashes as well. Uh, excellent pick. My eleventh favorite comedy is Spaceballs from mm-hmm. 1987 by Mel Brooks. This is a parody of. Star Wars straight up. I remember I thought, I think it's very fascinating. The movie initially didn't get good reviews because for some reason, this, this movie came out in it four years after return of the Jedi. And the most common criticism it received was that it was too little, too late. Star Wars is over. This thing came out way too, too late. And it just was not hitting the, the uh, culture at the right time or whatever. And uh, it, it, For whatever reason it didn't hit right according to the critics at the time but i never found that to be true i found that audiences responded greatly to this film it became a huge hit everybody when i was growing up saw this movie loved this movie quote quoted this movie it's a very funny movie hilariously skewers Star Wars and of course being a Star Wars lover I'm naturally going to love it and this is not the only time you'll see Mel Brooks on my list too because uh he's someone that I grew up with and absolutely have loved as well so Spaceballs 1987 a movie with a fantastic cast that includes John Candy and Bill Pullman and hilarious too many hilarious moments to go on about here that is my 11th favorite comedy.
1: My number 10 is Two Days in New York from 2012, and it's available on Prime. It stars Julie Dalpy and Chris Rock. This is about the Manhattan couple who each have children from prior relationships, and they're trying to find a comfortable family dynamic which gets jostled when her family comes and visits, and her family is from France, so there's a bit of culture clash there. Culture Clash is a hilarious thing when it's not happening to your family. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's very entertaining film. It's very smart. It's kind of one of those nice, slow-moving films, and I appreciate it very much.
0: Excellent. That's a great pick. Good to see some love thrown to that film. My 10th favorite comedy. I, I'm, you might notice with my list overall, I'm going to skew older. With my comedies. You won't see very many 21st century comedies on my list, I think. So with that, my 10th. Oh, you will with me. (laughs) Fascinating. And I'm sure you're not alone with that, too. But for me, 1936 is the year. Country is going through Great Depression. And we have a film that is perfect for the culture at that time. My Man Godfrey. Available on Amazon Prime.
1: That's a good choice.
0: Uh, starring William Powell and, was it, Claudette Colbert. That was the, uh, the, the primary actress in it. And a wonderful cast of supporting uh, character actors and whatnot. Uh, this is about <laughs> a man who's living in the skids basically of, of this major city. He is plucked from that by a, a rich woman, or at least a, a young woman who comes from a rich family and eventually hired as the family's butler. So you have a brilliant film that is satirizing and skewering class differences, especially the rich at the time, the, the, at the time when everybody was struggling except for the 1%. he was a movie that skewered the 1%ers as just as presented as a nutty family, just a bunch of eccentrics, you know, and it's it's so incredibly well portrayed or p- played by William Powell. Love him so much in this film. It's definitely worth checking out if you haven't already. It's on Amazon Prime, my man Godfrey from 1936.
1: My number nine is a fairly recent film from 2008. It's available on Prime. Tropic Thunder, starring Ben Stiller, Jack Black, Robert Downey Jr., Brandon T. Jackson, Steve Coogan, and so many others, but they're kind of like little surprises, little Easter eggs, so Mm -hmm. I won't say anything. Mm -hmm. This is a very smart film. Uh, When I saw a little bit of this film, like just a clip, and I don't even remember what clip it was, I was like, this is the biggest load of shit i've ever seen and i switched it off and then i saw that it was it didn't robert downey jr get nominated
0: i would not be surprised
1: some some part of this film got nominated and i was like what is that as a south african living in south africa i was like what is happening here and anyway eventually i watched it from start to finish and it is a hilarious film it is poking fun a lot of things Through a series of freak occurrences, a group of actors shooting a big budget war movie are forced to become the soldiers they are portraying. So kind of like method acting gone wrong.
0: Mm.
1: It's really fun. There's a lot of hilarity. There's a lot of explosions. It's kind of making fun, I think, of movies that are trying to be super serious about the war, especially the Mm -hmm. Vietnam War. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I remember you were not entirely thrilled when I suggested showing you that movie. You were you were not really looking forward to it. <laughs> you expected it to be way dumber than it ended yeah. up being.
1: Well, and that's how it looks on the poster.
0: Mm.
1: You know, it looks like it's going to be this big fire dumpster chaos. And mm. it's actually very smart. And it's poking fun at the film industry, too. And mm. those in it.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right on. My ninth favorite comedy is from 1991. It was like the comedy of the year. It is City Slickers, available Mm -hmm. on HBO Max. Now, this movie came out when I was like 10 years old or something like that. And, you know, it was the one that got nominated for the Golden Globes and the Oscars. And, of course, completely got overlooked because I believe that was also the year of Silence of the Lambs. As well, if I remember correctly, so it didn't have a shot, uh, at least in the Oscars, anyway. First of all, this is my favorite Billy Crystal movie. You know, he was on this great run in the the, the mid to late '80s to early '90s, and it kind of get got a little long in the tooth from the mid '90s on. But you know, he he did when Harry met Sally, and before that, he had a, a supporting role in The Princess Bride. And I love both of those movies. Uh, when Harry Met Sally is also a Billy Crystal vehicle. More of a rom-com. I love City Slickers. He plays a guy who turned 39. And he's he's suffering midlife crisis. I suffered midlife, midlife crisis uh, at that age. I totally get what he's, what he's going through. How all of a sudden you realize that your your youth is gone. Everything that you had been dreaming of is in the past, right? Now it's all about you're on your way down. You're on your way to senior citizenship. And uh, so I find this movie incredibly relatable. It's also very funny. Bruno Kirby's great in it. Daniel Stern is great in it. And there's a lot of other wonderful appearances. Jack Palance is famous for this movie. Almost eclipses everything else Jack Palance ever did. I bet you can't even name another Jack Palance movie. No. Yeah, exactly. Even though Shane is heavily referenced in this movie. Anyway, great film. I could go on about it. City Slickers, 1991. Check it out yourself. It is on HBO Max.
1: My number eight is Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. From 1948, the wolfman tries to warn a dim-witted porter that Dracula wants his brain for Frankenstein monster's body. Frankenstein's. Yeah, Frankenstein monster's body. And it's just, it's so hilarious. And they're just so silly. And I just, I love this film. I think the characters are very dramatic, but not in a way that irritates me.
0: Hmm. Particularly Bud Costello.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love when he's shouting,
0: Mm -hmm. chick,
1: chick. (laughs) <laughs> right. it's like yeah. it's really great
0: because he plays the scaredy cat this was also on your favorite sequels list so not a surprise to see it on here it's a great skewering of the universal monster movies of the time uh, with the original cast for the most part too fantastic love that movie I'm, I'm so glad that you have taken to that film since i showed it to you it's wonderful my eighth favorite is my favorite Mel Brooks movie. I can't believe we don't own this on Blu-ray yet. Apparently, there is some discrepancy between the two different copies. The quality of the two different copies of Blu-rays that are available in uh, for this movie. But it is the producers from 1968, one of the most brilliant comedies I have ever seen in my life. I remember I saw this as a teenager and was just it was like lightning striking my brain. <laughs> I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was the most hilarious thing i'll will spare anyone who hasn't seen this the details of what makes this so brilliant but the plot involves zero mistel and gene wilder i think this is gene wilder's debut if not then maybe bonnie and clyde was the year before i get them mixed up yes he's in bonnie and the clyde but you didn't know at any rate you know, this is just three years before Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and here he's absolutely hilarious. The two of them, he plays a nervous accountant, the two of them hatch a scheme to create intentionally a Broadway flop that will actually result in making them rich. They explain how that works in the film. I'll let you try to puzzle that one out yourself before you see it, but uh, you should see this movie it is laugh-out-loud hilarious and outrageous... The Producers from 1968, my eighth favorite comedy of all time.
1: That is my seventh. No. I love that movie. I almost forgot about it on the list and then quickly rectified that. But I love this film. I relate so much to Gene Wilder's anxiety. Mm. And although I don't carry around a baby blanket with me (laughs) to soothe me, I have other coping mechanisms. And his hysterics are just so amusing to Mm. me, and I like that, you know, this is a little dramatic, but I like that someone has gone and executed what anxiety might do to a person Mm. if they were free to scream and carry on and, you know, set boundaries with a dramatic person. I think it's great that there's this pairing of this anxious accountant with a producer of anything dramatic. Because I don't know if you were ever around drama students, but the highs and lows were intense, and it wasn't even real highs and lows. It was just them portraying different things and trying to get people's reactions. So it makes sense that he would kind of fit into that little community. Hmm. And I just, I love all the moving parts and all the people they include. And certain lines will get stuck in my head, and I have to think of something else because if you say a line from this movie in front of a person who hasn't seen this movie, it's not going to land. But if it, if you do, it's brilliant.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So my seventh favorite comedy is the first one that was on my hundred favorite movies of all time list. It is from 1995 and it is clueless available on HBO max. Here's what I said. About the film on my blog directed by Amy Heckerling who had already made the celebrated Fast Times at Ridgemont High and loosely adapted from Jane Austen's Emma Clueless not only made a Victorian era story appealing to teens like myself in the 90s but it also catapulted Alicia Silverstone to superstardom for a while I remember seeing this film at the drive-in with my parents I was in the back seat laughing my ass off while my parents looked at each other while shaking their heads.
1: <laughs> That's great.
0: Clearly, this wasn't a film for their generation, but it's surprisingly smart, endearing, and hilarious. I love it. It's it's also uh, brilliant how it translates a Jane Austen novel to quote unquote modern day. Now, it's it's also interesting hearing people who were born in the late 90s or after the late 90s respond to it or my son watched it he's like that
1: was interesting
0: he's like this movie's so old i'm like motherfucker you've seen older movies and you haven't commented why is this one so old (laughs) and it has all to do with the lingo that's used and some of the fashion but and that makes me feel old but i still love this movie that's clueless from 1995 Available on HBO Max.
1: It's so nice that so many of our films are available for people to go and stream right now. My number six is on HBO. It is Elf from 2003. No need to wait for Christmas. Go watch this now, now, now. (laughs) (laughs) It stars Will Ferrell, James Caan, Bob Newhart, Zoe Deschanel, and a bunch of other wonderful people. It's directed by John Favreau, so you know you're in for a treat. This is an original piece and just wonderful, and also honors Christmas movies from the past. So, the weird part is Will Ferrell is already this giant being, right? <laughs> yeah, he's and over six feet. He's always so big. Mm-hmm. He is, you know, and they always have shorter actors and actresses around him. Mm. Now they make him an elf, and, <laughs> you know, it doesn't take long for this. Human that cli- this baby human that climbs into Santa's bag and gets taken to the North Pole and elves try to raise him to be an elf, it doesn't take long for them to figure out, everyone else to figure out, something's not right. It just takes him a while. And yeah. when he figures it out he gets to go on a journey to find his real father mm-hmm. in New York city during Christmas fucking time. Yeah. You know, it's a really brilliant production. The extra features around this and, and about the filming of this story is really great. I I love the comedic moments. So many things get quoted from here, like make work your favorite and right. all right, everyone get ready. Santa's coming tomorrow. Santa, And it's just, you know, the snowball fights, the, the wonderful Christmas crazy decor. It just every time I see that store, I want that to be my living room, and it's just a really a lot of fun about a father and son trying to figure each other out in adulthood.
0: Very good. My my sixth favorite, hitting the halfway mark here, is Harvey from 1950. That's one
1: that I wasn't allowed to use.
0: It is the, one of the only ones on your 12 favorite movies of all time, because I think you named it as your favorite movie of all time, which is, yes. uh, which is crazy. I mean, not in a bad way. It's, it's, it's so interesting to me that that ended up being your favorite movie of all time. Here's what I had to say about the film when it hit 86 on my 100 favorite movies of all time. It was named by the AFI one of the greatest comedies ever made. And I have to agree. I remember when I was a kid, we would go to the video store practically every weekend. I remember waiting in the car on one occasion, maybe it was a drop-off situation, and staring at a poster in the window for a movie called Harvey with a man sitting up against a wall staring at what appeared to be a shadow on that wall of a giant rabbit. I didn't know what that was. I would understand about 20 years later... Jimmy Stewart is one of my favorite actors. His work with Frank Capra and in this movie are the primary reasons why. His demeanor in Harvey, one of pleasantness, kindness, and politeness, is one to aspire to. At one point, he explains in the back alley of his favorite bar, quote, "'Years ago, my mother used to say to me, she'd say, "'In this world, Elwood, you must be oh-so-smart or oh-so-pleasant.'" Well, for years I was smart. I recommend pleasant. And that always stuck with me. I reckon I'm still trying to be oh so smart. You look on social media and it's easy to see a couple of people are. Or it's easy to see a lot of people are. But I'm beginning to think at this point in my life, after taking stock of what being smart has gotten me and the rest of the world, that maybe it's better to be oh so pleasant. This is a beautiful film, a very gentle comedy it's about a man and his possibly imaginary friend and family that's trying to put him in the insane asylum, actually. Uh, Josephine Hull is a brilliant supporting actress in this. Love her so much. So that is Harvey from 1950, my sixth favorite comedy. Shannon, what is your fifth favorite comedy?
1: My number five. I wish that I had time to watch this again because it's so damn enjoyable. I think this is the one that I wish I could watch again uh, that I didn't get to. It's Office Space from 1999. Mm. It stars Ron Livingston, Jennifer Aniston, David Herman, AJ Naidoo, Diedrich Bader, Gary Cole. Three company workers who hate their job with a passion decide to rebel against their greedy boss. It is fantastic. There are so many lines in this movie that are hilarious. I keep saying to you, that's the last straw, or I say to the echo device in our house. And I just love the tension, the slow death. They are all dying in their cubicles and Mm. how they try to break away from that. Mm. It's just brilliant and very smart. And I could watch this 100 times and I'd be happy to watch it 101
0: yeah uh, that is a great comedy and you know one of those that had a great life on video and has endured because of the video rental market at that time and yeah almost made my list my fifth favorite comedy is 1992's wayne's world number 79 out of 100 for me I love this movie. I find it one of the most quotable movies I have ever seen. And at one time, it rivaled the Blues Brothers as the best SNL movie. It's still one of the best. However, my son has made me realize how dated it is in the sense that its jokes largely reference themes of a particular time that future generations have no concept of. Like what? Oh, gosh. Specific commercials, you know, specific ad campaigns and There's just a bajillion different things in the movie. So it is hampered by that and enjoyment may be limited for anyone under the age of 35. Hmm. That said, I was 11 or 12 when it came out. So I'm still able to giggle profusely at the references to Newprint commercials, Laverne and Shirley, Terminator 2 and so many others. (laughs) So, yeah, I, I think that this is a movie that unfortunately works only for people of a certain age. But boy, you know, being someone of that age, it's sure as hell works on me every single time. That's Wayne's World, my fifth favorite movie. That's from 1992.
1: My number four is from 1982. <laughs> oh, and it's a Criterion film. It is Tootsie oh. starring Dustin Hoffman. Jessica Lang, Bill Murray, and Gina Davis, and a couple other fun people. Mm-hmm. Michael Dorsey is an unsuccessful actor disguising himself as a woman in order to get a role on a trashy hospital soap opera. Uh no, it's a soap. Or do you say soap opera?
0: Yeah, you say soap opera. Okay, yeah. great. Soap for short.
1: Yeah. And this is just great. You know, he's actually the, he's never getting the roles he wants. He's the teacher. He teaches all these techniques. He's trying to get success through his students and his students aren't successful. So eventually he's like, I'm going to try and go for this role. And he gets it and comedy follows him everywhere. What's wonderful is how much respect Dustin begins to have for the actress he is playing. Mm. And, What'll be great is she'll be very sweet and very well-mannered. And now see here, and if things get out of hand, he'll really change his voice and it'll be fantastic. In short bursts. In short bursts. It's really great. It only happens like once or twice, but it's really well-timed. And that's what this film is. Everything is well-timed in this film and is great commentary also on the female experience and hearing dustin hoffman be interviewed about this character about tootsie Mm -hmm. i mean he gets choked up just about every time
0: he's very emotional and
1: i love it because you can really see he's empathizing with what women deal with Mm -hmm. and there is one situation that gets really serious and it's great because i think that's what makes a great comedy sure we can have a good time all the time mm. but if there's one serious if you're tackling a particular issue mm. like what is it like for a man to be a woman then you should have something serious that makes it drive home mm. you know and mm. there is that and that's what you know all of the all of those elements make this a great film
0: well and also that it's it's remarkable what it's saying in and doing about 30 years before the Me Too movement, right? Mm-hmm. Or the Time's Up movement. Actually, prim- primarily Me Too, I suppose, is what it's addressing. You know, it, it's it's uh, it's amazing, brilliant, perfect film. Uh, great, great choice. My fourth favorite comedy is the one or one of two that you could not pick.
1: Oh, good. <laughs> what is it?
0: It's 1944's Arsenic and Old Lace. Number 70 out of 100 on on the blog.
1: Man, that is such a good movie.
0: I think I learned about this film when the AFI named it one of the 100 greatest comedies of all time. I made sure I watched every movie on that list, and this is one of the most rewarding discoveries from that list. Cary Grant quickly became one of my favorite actors because I'd seen him be so suave and daring in Hitchcock movies. Here, he was absolutely hysterical. Look, the story itself about a couple of old ladies killing loners and burying them in the basement and their newly wedded and beloved nephew who discovers their secret is hilarious. But Grant sells it with every bug-eyed incredulous look at the camera. Peter Lorre is also a hoot as a villainous family member sidekick. Arsenic and Old Lace is one of several reasons why I love Frank Capra. I named him in a past episode as one of my favorite director's of all time and this as well as harvey's are reasons why that is the dude was very versatile as a director Cary grant is versatile as an actor and it's just it's just an absolute who i totally get why shanna this is one of your all-time favorite movies and I'm so it brings me so much joy when i show you a film and it just clicks so strongly with you the way <laughs> these movies have.
1: Well, I'm really glad that it made your list because that is just one of the best comedies, really.
0: All right, Shannon, we're in your top three comedies. What is next for you?
1: Next is from 2016 with Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, Kate McKinnon, Leslie Jones, Charles Dance, a couple others. It's Ghostbusters. Oh, mm-hmm. okay, yes. okay. Yes, of course. So, this is completely different to the other ghost the other previous two Ghostbuster films and it's basically we're just having girls run the show and I loved it. I know it's not a favorite for a lot of people. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Seeing Jillian Holtzman wield a double fisted proton pack guns was just what I needed in my life being a ghost head, you know, since I was four. Mm. I cried when I saw that. It was it was Cathartic. more it was more potent than me seeing Ray wield the lightsaber.
0: Oh, really?
1: Yeah, it meant so much more to me that there were female Ghostbusters. And I I just, I love the comedy in this. I quote it all the time to myself. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I love Leslie Jones. I think this is like my favorite thing that she's done. I I know there's other stuff out there I haven't seen, but I love her as a ghostbuster. I think she's the one keeping the team grounded and on point. And of course, you know, the other three have their things going. And the only thing I think this film suffers from is maybe the bad guy a little bit. But otherwise, I really have fun with this film. I love it so much.
0: Yeah, that's interesting to hear that Holtzman's... Mom, well, any seeing any woman wielding a, a, a proton pack is more cathartic to you than Ray when she gets the lightsaber because I thought it was at least equal, n- not more. Uh, that's fascinating uh, to me.
1: No, I, I really think it, it it's, it's better for me
0: mm-hmm.
1: because I was watching Ghostbusters on repeat from age four. Mm-hmm till about age 10 mm-hmm. and I think maybe maybe at age nine or eight that's when Jared got all the Star Wars videos and that's when the Star Wars your brother. you know yeah was on repeat in the house mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so for me Ghostbusters was the foundation
0: well given that experience I definitely understand why it's number three on your list my third favorite comedy however is available on Netflix it's from 1986. It is Ferris Bueller's Day Off, number 65 out of 100 on the blog. There are few movies as pleasurable as Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It is the definition of comfort food viewing. John Hughes had already made a name for himself over the previous four years as one of the decade's best comedy screenwriters with Mr. Mom and National Lampoon's Vacation. He also had a well-documented knack for teen-focused movies, having written and directed Sixteen Candles, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, and also wrote 1986's Pretty in Pink. Ferris was a bit of an amalgam of his previous teen-issue-heavy films and the bonkers Weird Science in that it had the teen parent issues wrapped in joy and thrills. Ferris seems to tell teens not to be so angsty, not to take everything so seriously and enjoy life once in a while while you can. That theme, as well as Ferris's ability to outsmart his principal, played wonderfully by Mm -hmm. Jeffrey Jones, and sister Jennifer Grey, are what makes Ferris Bueller the perfect movie to watch when you're sick, feeling down, or just need something to help you feel good for a moment. It is my favorite John Hughes movie. And you can find it on Netflix, in case you need a little pick me up.
1: My number two is from 2015 and also has Melissa McCarthy, Rose Byrne, and Jason Statham. It is Spy a desk-bound CIA analyst volunteers to go undercover to infiltrate the world of a deadly arms dealer and prevent diabolical global disaster. This is such a great spoof on action spy films, I think. Ah, And it's really poking fun at that industry and having Melissa McCarthy be the star of it is amazing. I think she is so funny. I love her voice. I recognize her voice anywhere. And I just have her voice on the Echo and it's just a lot of fun and the music choices in this movie are also pretty bizarre hmm. and amusing and what else can I say about this film I think McCarthy with Rose Byrne is a hilarious pairing and then to have mm. Jason Statham come into this, this girl's movie and be like all mansplaining and you can't do this you don't know what you're doing is great because mm. they kind of show him what's what and take him down a peg. I love it.
0: Yeah, he definitely presents himself like an oaf, too. Like an idiot.
1: Oh, as well, just absolutely you know. gung-ho, awful.
0: <laughs> Which great. is great because he was already an action star. So he's kind yeah. of uh, self parroting in a way. Yeah, and you know. and
1: that's kind of what I love about it.
0: Yeah. You know, I, that, I I definitely appreciate your take on that movie because I was at first when I hear that movie, I think, well, that's kind of action comedy. I was trying to avoid action comedies, but I definitely it get it
1: falls into the spoof category. Yeah,
0: I, I was going to say I, I, I get your take on it. it. It totally, totally works because in a lot of ways, while it's not an out and out spoof like Leslie Nielsen's spy hard or something dumb like that. It is really kind of needling the action uh, genre. so And it does it very well. That's fantastic. My second favorite comedy is from 1987. I'm noticing a handful of 80s movies in this list. This is the third one, I think. It is on HBO Max Broadcast News.
1: Oh, I love that film.
0: This James L. Brooks film is... Uh, 54 out of 100 on the blog of all my all-time favorite movies. It was another discovery from the AFI 100 Greatest Comedies list. I've always loved it as a love triangle film and as a film about journalism. The rise of the 24-hour news cycle began with the creation of CNN in the 80s and was made worse by the creation of Fox News in the 90s. Broadcast news in 1987 foretold what would become the decline of credible journalism. The characters are what make both elements of the film work. Their ambition and their respective roles in the news, their insecurities, etc. The leads, Albert Brooks, Holly Hunter, and William Hurt, sell those characters and everything about the script. Broadcast News is an insightful and often hilarious film that I have cherished since I first saw it over 20 years ago. And it is available on Criterion as well. So again, broadcast news, 1987 on HBO
1: Max. Yeah, that's one of my films that I usually pull out when it's my birthday. Mm -hmm. Because I just, there's so many lines from there too. Very busy here. Very busy. Busy. Yes, we (laughs) quote that
0: a lot too as entrepreneurs. (laughs) All right, Shanna, the time has come. What is your favorite comedy of all time?
1: Minus my twelve. It, my number yeah. one is bad moms from 2016 oh mm-hmm. no shit yeah yeah with mila kunis Catherine hahn and Kristen bell uh, and there's also christina applegate and jada pinkett smith and a couple other women oh, yeah. uh, you know this is a, a film uh, that i watched with my girls and you know there were about three or four other groups of women that had gone with their friends to the theater. And this was such a community experience because every time something happened, it it didn't matter what, if it was an atrocity or if it was a child talking back to their mother or a mother telling the other mother to wake up and smell a coffee, you're a helicopter mom, whatever, someone in the movie house reacted uh, verbally and made the rest of the cinema, made the rest of the audience laugh hysterically. So it was... Such a fun community experience. This is a film about three moms. We follow three moms, our main actresses that I just mentioned, and their journey in motherhood and trying to figure out what mom, what kind of mom do they want to be? Where's their confidence lie? What are they sick and tired of? Because these moms are all being taken advantage of in some way, whether it's just as a mom, a mom amongst other moms, or a wife. And it's just wonderful even the three moms that are like the one percent at the school are having issues as well and that all gets you know dived into and it's also just a really freeing film because it's kind of this permission letter to be hard on your children and not be a dope and I just I love it all the line deliveries are great it's such a great accumulation of actresses
0: my favorite comedy, and I am going through because I can't believe what w- was not included in here. It is one of those situations where it's like, man, is this really my favorite comedy of all time?
1: Mm.
0: All right, I'll go with it. And, and in a way, if you look at the rest of my selections in comedy, it, it kind of goes along with this idea of my taste being not too into the lowbrow, stupid, stupid comedy. Mm-hmm. But really, like, I really love comedies that have something to say or are incredibly relatable. And here we have a comedy that has something to say at its time. It is from 1936... Also, Ooh. my taste in older movies.
1: I know what this is.
0: Available on HBO Max, Shanna. What is it?
1: Is it Modern Times?
0: It is Modern Times. Ha! Charlie ha! Chaplin's masterpiece. I know my
1: husband. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it is Charlie Chaplin's masterpiece. <laughs> it ended up being number forty-nine out of a hundred on my hundred favorite movies of all time list. Here's why I said Modern Times is one of. Chaplin's most brilliant comedies and most iconic in the literal sense of the word there are so many visuals in this film that are part of Chaplin's legacy. I would venture to guess most people these days have not seen any of Chaplin's work if they but if they think of his movie's visuals like the one of him stuck in the gears and then it pausing <laughs> and him him adjusting the bolts of the gears hmm. I bet that is one that comes to their minds. So it's a brilliant film for its social and industrial commentary, but it's also one of Chaplin's funniest movies. This is peak Chaplin, as I said, his, his masterpiece. It's a, a film that was Chaplin's reaction to the change in the film industry. It feels like it's an, a reaction to the industrial revolution Mm -hmm. but we're talking about 1936 here and so for years prior to this people have been haranguing him about doing a talkie (laughs) and this film is his reaction to to that in many ways and what you love about this movie shanna is the moment where you finally hear the tramp talk but you can't understand a goddamn thing (laughs) he's said right he's giving the people of Middle Finger who have urged him to do a talkie. And mm-hmm. I love that as well as so many of the set pieces, comedic set pieces in this film. So that's Modern Times from 1936 on HBO Max.
1: Well, you say that you can't understand a thing he's saying. I understood one or two words because he incorporates different languages,
0: okay.
1: uh, little bits of it, and mixes it up too. So there'll be a French word at the beginning, and then there'll be some Italian and some, I don't know, Chinese, and then French again. You know, he really, I'm not saying that's all of them, but he mixes all the things up. And then when you go and find out the translation, that doesn't make sense. So right, <laughs> it's right. just really wonderful. And that little song gets stuck in my head often.
0: Excellent. Okay, so Shanna, was that we don't usually do
1: honorable, honorable mentions, mentions, right? Because
0: the 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 first two movies we talk about are essentially the honorable mentions. But we're talking about an entire genre here, so I bet there were mm-hmm. a handful of movies that were like your thirteen to twenty or whatever that couldn't quite fit on your list that fit into the parameters what, that we are going for here what what were were any of those
1: so i have hunt for the wilder people oh the big sick mean girls game night the first wives club mrs dow rat race schoolhouse of rock arsenic and old lace adam's rib in the loop book smart devil wears prada just to name a few. 21 Jump Street, right. Wolf of Wall Street.
0: I wouldn't call Wolf of Wall Street a, a straight up comedy.
1: Oh, God, I would. I, I mean, laugh it, it's, a, it's a drama
0: with comedic elements. Okay. Right? It's not intended as one of Scorsese's straight comedies.
1: I don't know. Maybe I just laugh at wealthy people's pains. Yeah, you know. have a
0: weird fascination with that movie. I don't get. But okay. anyway. Mine were really, like, every single movie you mentioned on your list mm. that wasn't on mine were movies I considered.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In addition, what, oh, man, barely did not make it on my list was Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh, thank God. I, I have loved that movie. It's just one of those things where it's just hard to boil it down to 12. And so there's some major casualties that happen. Mm. A Night at the Opera maybe my favorite mm-hmm. Marx Brothers movie. Just some classic moments in that. The Thin Man, again, William Powell. That one with Myrna Loy. Uh, you know. oh, yeah,
1: that one is really good. Oh, and then I so see great. on your list, I'm going to steal it, Tom Popo. Yes. I, I wished we had gotten to see that again.
0: Mm, interesting. Uh, the, uh, let's see. Some Like It Hot, Billy Wilder's Greatest Comedy, the General, Buster Keaton's greatest comedy. I, I, you know, I, Very tough not to include it. In the Loop, The Hudsucker Proxy, my fa- perhaps my favorite Coen Brothers movie. Lost... That
1: is such
0: a good movie. I can't believe Lost in America did not make your list by Albert Brooks well, with it's, Julie Haggerty. It's
1: made a lot of other lists.
0: Well, you know, so is uh, Abbott and Costello. Well, it was in the last list, but that didn't stop you. I'm, <laughs> I'm shocked. I really thought that was going to make your list. Bringing Up Baby, His Girl Friday, Young Frankenstein, Nine. big obvious child another one i expected on your list
1: ah i must have forgotten about it oh because it did also just get mentioned too
0: hmm adventures in babysitting necessary roughness mannequin shoot me i love those movies role models
1: oh, i forgot about my big fat greek wedding i forgot about that
0: yeah a bit of a rom-com but, oh, so well, then that's... okay
1: maybe we can do rom-coms for valentine's next year
0: maybe mm uh let's see forgetting sarah marshall duck soup another marx brothers movie there's something about mary take the money and run one of i think it's like maybe woody allen's first movie and it's like one of his wackiest movies uh, there's some just great humor in that soap dish a movie from the 90s that doesn't get much love mm-hmm. dave also a forgotten movie from the 90s And this is Spinal Tap are all comedies I took in consideration and were casualties in this list.
1: Well, you know, if you're going mockumentary with Spinal Tap, I think no man beyond this point could probably be a contender. Mm. The spoof about what if women could conceive without men Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. and
1: men were not needed.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So those are favorite comedies of all time. What are your favorite comedies, feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com.
1: You can find me at Shanna Paxton Photography on Instagram. And on Flick you can find me at Spellbinding A.
0: Now, before I talk about what's coming up on the next episode of The Movie Lovers, let me share with you where you can find me online. Go to thegibsonreview.com for Things like what I've been referencing this entire episode, the 100 favorite movies of all time under the Film Faves tab, other features and articles and other reviews, and old episodes of The Movie Lovers. Go to Facebook slash The Gibson Review. Follow there and also Instagram, the Gibson 99 I do bracket polls there. And let's see here. Last time, I believe, I don't think I mentioned this, last time... We did your favorite A24 movie and Ex Machina ended up being your choice for a favorite A24 movie. Right now we're doing a series of polls related to sequels still in relation to the previous episode of the Suicide Squad and our favorite sequels. We did a short poll on your favorite action sequel action movie sequel and indiana jones and the last crusade was your pick for your favorite action movie sequel at the time of recording we're still doing your favorite animated sequel i'm sure that's going to wrap up very soon but keep uh, tabs on the gibson 99 and on instagram for polls like those and you will see a favorite comedy poll on there soon i'm sure that's going to be a big one okay so next episode of the movie lovers we will be for our main event reviewing the next marvel cinematic universe movie shane chi and the legend of the ten rings and film phase will be counting down our favorite martial arts movies now if if possible I'm, i might have a special guest for that but we'll see about that one i know shanna's really hoping that she gets to miss out on that one <laughs> as that will be the case if we have our special guest because that will be a challenging list you can look for that episode on tuesday september 14th in the meantime
1: This is Jeff and Shanna saying
0: keep loving the movies and
1: (laughs) bye-bye.